Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. An enormous story from Sam Cooper uh, of Global News uh, broke just a little while ago, a few minutes ago. Actually, as I was driving up to the station just before 6 o'clock, the headline is Liberal MP Han Dong secretly advised Chinese diplomat in 2021 to delay freeing two Michaels, uh, sources say. And let me just read the first or second paragraph here just to um, give you a flavor of this. Liberal MP Han Dong who is at the center of Chinese influence allegations, privately advised a senior Chinese diplomat in February 2021 that Beijing should hold off freeing Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor, according to two separate national security sources. Both sources, said Dong, allegedly suggested to Han Tao, China's consul general in Toronto, that if Beijing released the two Michaels, whom China accused of espionage, the opposition conservatives would benefit. At the time, the two Canadians had been in Chinese custody for over two years. Let me bring in a guy who's going to be talking about this tomorrow morning, um, because this is a story that's going to have legs. I'm very confident. Bill Kelly, host of the Bill Kelly Show. Uh, Bill, thanks for doing this on short notice. Appreciate you jumping in. Hey, good to have you. You know, I've got to tell you, Scott, right off the bat, this is ironic. Because um, not half an hour ago, I was uh, having a conversation with a good friend of mine, David Estock, who used to be the publisher of the Hamilton Spectator, of course, yep. uh, and a great journalist, by the way. And he pointed me to a story in the New York Times written by Peter Baker about how the Reagan administration manipulated the Iranian hostage uh, thing back in, in 1979, 80, so that Reagan would look good and Jimmy Carter would look bad, and it cost Jimmy Carter the election. And they have proof positive now, which just tells you there's a lot of crap that goes on that we never find out about. Uh, so when I saw this, Story and I read. Then I found out what was going on with, uh, with MP Hong. I figured, God, who can you trust? Who do you believe right now? I mean, th- this just screams for more. I think validation now that we've got to do something about a full inquiry into this, and not with politicians, but with some people that understand what's going on here. Yeah, and so okay. So first of all, when you say who can you trust here? Um, look, Sam Cooper, who has written this, um, his stories to this point have been impeccable. He's a fantastic journalist. Um, you know, if you're the liberals, I would think right now, uh, I mean, look, you've been around politics a long, long time. I would think if you're the liberals, this is crisis moment right now to figure out what the heck is going on and whether this is true. Well, yeah, and just uh, before we get into that, I, I validate your show. I've had Sam on the show a number of times. He's an outstanding journalist. Uh, it doesn't get printed, it doesn't get put out there until he has validated this and he has sources upon sources, so he knows his stuff. So for him to break the story means he's talked to a number of sources and, and you know, not all of them are going to be, you know, accredited for various reasons because obviously the person that lifts, you know, lift, lifted this story and, and gave him this information uh, is probably somebody who would be a deep doo-doo if it was come to light that they were the ones that leaked the story. But it's here, and, 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 you know, until somebody denies it, and I guess they're about to do that in the next little while, uh, let's take this story at face value right now. Uh, this guy's a, 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 this guy's a, I, I, I don't know this MP, we don't, you know, we just know him in the last couple of days because it seems as if he has mentioned, uh, shall we say extensively, in some of the CSIS documents that uh, have been leaked uh, about what's going on here, allegedly going on, I suppose, until we get some uh, investigation into this. Uh, but the, to suggest that this guy was actually, you know, I don't know if he's a maverick, he's working on his own. I find it very hard to believe, Scott, and I'm not trying to let anybody off the hook here. 
that this guy from from Don Valley was was you know actually working uh, for our government against with the Chinese in situations like this. It, it, I, I, my first impression: this guy's a lone wolf. But the fact that he had these connections and the fact that he had the audacity to do something like this is, is beyond shocking. Well, and to the point that you made a few minutes ago, so let us, uh, and I don't know whether we should assume this, but let's just, there's a lot here that we don't know at this point. So let's say the prime minister did not know about this. Let's let's go down that and say this would have been something that he probably would not have known about. We don't know anything yet, but let's say that's the case. This still seems, Bill, like the kind of thing where now, I'm not sure that the kind of inquiry where, as you say, it's run by liberal politicians is going to be sufficient. I think we have probably reached a point where there has to be that kind of independent inquiry into all of this or else nobody, where's the credibility? Where's the plausibility when you, for all the people who, you know, are, are going to look at this when the result comes, no matter what the result is, if you don't make a totally independent inquiry at this point? Well, and I'm going to push back just a little bit. This is not run by liberals, okay? Because they're a minority government. I think I think of the four committees that are investigating this, only one of them is chaired by a liberal, and the others are all dominated by opposition members. But that aside, I just don't think politicians, period, should be involved in this because it becomes a political football. They, they don't. Let's look. Let's cut through the, the BS here. A number of the opposition members, including the opposition leader here for the conservatives, would much rather this be an opportunity for them to, to blow the Trudeau government out of the water. They're not looking for the truth. They're looking for the smoking gun to blow this guy out. And it may well be there. I don't know. But I, I question everybody's uh, you know, motivation when they're doing something like this, which is why it should be taken out of the political arena altogether. You know, when, when the Trump thing happened, uh, you know, after that first election when he got elected, uh, it, it, it's, you know, it, was, it was the Justice Department that jumped in. It wasn't the politicians. And I, I don't know that we can do that with our system of government here. Uh, I don't know if there can be that sort of independence and objectivity now. Uh, but God knows we sure we need it. And I don't know how we're going to attain that. No, and that's, that's the thing. If you're going to have plausibility at the end of this and believability and credibility, all the abilities... Uh, I, you're right. I don't think this can be a political thing because everyone in politics has a political motive. I don't, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. This is the kind of thing that now has to be a step away from politicians. And the problem is, how do you get there? How do you get there? Especially if some of the politicians don't want to get there. Well, yeah. And, and that's the political motivation and political, you know, calculations that are going on here. Uh, and I, I, I had Michael Kepka. I know you've made Michael on the show, too, from University of Ottawa, criminologist and specialist in criminal law. Uh, he was on the show earlier today, and I said, you know, can we find an honest, objective man or woman in Ottawa these days? I don't know. You know uh, apparently, David Johnson doesn't meet the, the standard test for a variety of reasons. Uh, I don't know who would in situations like that. And, and again, I point, well, I, just by comparison, because in, in, in some ways it may be an apples and oranges comparison. But don't forget, after Donald Trump got elected, they did an investigation about Russian interference, not Chinese, but Russian interference in, in U.S. politics. Uh, and, and, you know, that was the Mueller report and a number of other things that had, were offshoots of that. That took two years for them to finally come up with the report. And, and a lot of people were disenchanted with the report, as it turned out. But it took that long for them to investigate it to the extent that they had to, to come up with some solid ideas about what was going on. It sounds to us like we're going to try to do this in four months. So right off the bat, I'm 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 concerned about the the, the dedication or maybe lack thereof uh, that they have to try to get to the bottom of this. All right. So 
when the conservative uh, MPP was tied to allegations of connections to China, uh, he immediately was pushed or stepped away, one or the other, and is now sitting as an independent pending a review. Doug Ford has already said, look, if he's cleared, he can come back. If he's not, clearly he won't. But is there any possible way that the prime minister cannot do the same thing with this member now? Or could, can he possibly go to the wall and defend him? Or is this one of those things where he now has to say, no, no, step away, sit as an independent until we know what's going on? Oh, he's got to do that. As a matter of fact, I, I would anticipate, and, and the, the the common sense thing, he's got to do that this evening. I mean, right here and now. And and that's not to say, okay, this guy's guilty. I get no, that. No, that's but not. Given given the, the cloud that's over this guy right now, that's not the first time his name's come up. Uh, and, and the prime minister has defended him in the past and said, you know, he's a reputable MP, blah, 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 you know, all the usual stuff that you're going to say. But now that, that this story has come out, uh, Sam Cooper is reporting from Global News, uh, with sources and, and seemingly some sources that can validate some of the accusations that have been made here, uh, pending a further investigation, uh, he's got to, first of all, be booted out of the caucus. I mean, you can't fire an MP, uh, you know, but, but they can't say, okay, you're no longer a member of this caucus, or you're suspended until we find out what's going on. And, and you know, God knows what will happen once that investigation comes in. Uh, but it's... Uh, it doesn't look good for this guy right now. I mean, the fact that he's sticking his nose into international politics like this, uh, how extensively, and, and not ironically, of course, he just mentioned the conservative MPP who seemed to be involved in this was from the same area of Toronto. Uh, so what's going on here? I mean, this, this raises more questions than it gives us answers at this stage, and it's troubling. Well, I'll tell you, we got to go. But there's one other thing that you just ha- you know that the liberals right now are sitting there with all their fingers and toes crossed right now saying, Oh please, let's not have another story tomorrow. Let's let's just let's just hope that this is the furthest it goes, and we don't have other stories about other people who are involved. Because, um, you know, this is this is Bill. I said when I first mentioned this, this was one of the few times. Honestly, this was one of the few times I've seen a story where my jaw dropped. Where you said uh, this is so stunning. It's almost unbelievable. I don't know that how you deal with more than one of these if there was another one to follow. I, I know your time is tight, but you know when, when the, the Trump thing happened in the Mueller investigation, don't you, you and I talked about this at the time. How many of us in Canada would look down and say, "Thank God that stuff doesn't happen up here." It was happening then, and, and we didn't even know about it. So I mean, you know, we we've got some some rocks to to turn over here to find out just what's going on here. Uh, hey, what are the chances that you might talk about this tomorrow morning on the Bill Kelly Show? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty big at this stage right now. <laughs> I would think so. Uh, Nine o'clock tomorrow morning, you yeah. will hear Bill talking about this uh, probably a lot. Uh, Bill, listen, I appreciate you jumping in at the last minute. Thanks for doing this. Always my pleasure, Scotty. Thanks. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Everybody knows if you're listening, probably for your entire life, I think, we'll, we'll find out in a second if I'm right, but for your entire life, no matter what your age is, in all likelihood, the American dollar has been the, the currency that has been used widely in international trade. And it still is. However, some things are changing a little bit here. And with China now pushing and pushing and pushing into the international markets, they are now dealing, you heard that uh, that Putin and Xi were meeting this week. Well, Putin now says he's ready to switch to the yuan in foreign trade. Iraq has said it's going to do the same. The Chinese currency seems to little by little be gaining some traction here as an international currency of 
repute. Could this end up being, not tomorrow, not the next day, but down the road, a thing that switches and suddenly it's not the dollar that we all talk about when we go overseas, that it's the one that everybody uses. Let me bring in Eric Cam. He's associate professor uh, at the Toronto Metropolitan University. He's also the director of the International Economics and Finance Undergraduate Program. Joins me now. Thank you for this. My pleasure, Scott. So before we answer that question, maybe you can just explain why the dollar is the international currency that we've always used, at least for almost or all of our lives. Anyway, why was that one chosen? You know, sometimes these things choose themselves. And after Bretton Woods fell apart, Bretton Woods was the agreement, the conference where they decided, let's move away from fixed exchange rates and let's let most of the countries in the world float and create a floating exchange rate. There was just a simplicity to anchoring most of the countries of the world to the American dollar because so many countries of the world traded with the American dollar. So it just became um, convention. To did it have anything out. to did it have anything to do with the fact that the U.S. was the dominant economy? It had something to do with the dominant economy, and they had just they were going to about to win the Second World War after winning the First World War, and what happened in Germany in in the forties. I mean, it was a confluence of a lot of things. Um, size sometimes does matter and you know there that is a function of it but it's also just that the U.S. was just such a dominant trading partner with so many other nations large medium and small that it became convention to say all right how are we doing against the American dollar and so just about the rest of the world started to adopt the same convention okay and it was a safe currency to stand up against you could rely on the american dollar as not going to do something like we saw in venezuela or other places well that's right and you know you can go back to modern central banking to say that the u.s learned so many lessons after the great depression in terms of what central banking has to do in terms of open market operations and propping up liquidity, that yes, the U.S. became this, the safe port in the storm. And so countries wanted to, in a sense, tie their wagon to that currency. And then as time rolled on, it, it, like as I say, it just became convention and other countries looking for a safe environment turned to the USA. And we're going to talk about what that means for the future, but it actually has been fairly successful when you look back at the last 70, 80 years. All right. And again, the US has been largely the dominant economy. China, though, now certainly pushing into that discussion. And now you've got countries around the world, Putin, obviously not too happy with the Americans right now and much of the West. Maybe it's got something to do with politics, but he now saying, I will certainly use the one as a trading currency. As I say, Iraq, there are a couple other ones. Is there any chance long-term, because again, not tomorrow, not the next day, but long-term that the one could usurp the dollar and become the dominant currency? And you probably think I'm going to say no, but the answer is potentially the reality is geopolitics are changing, geopolitical economics are changing every day. And we know that Russia and China, the East, are becoming stronger on aggregate than the West, especially if you want to throw the Indian economy in there too. So China and Russia say that their alliance isn't confrontational in nature. I'm not so sure about that. Listen, it's actually interesting. People talk a lot about money. Money is nothing in and of itself. Money is just anything that a country will say satisfies the medium of exchange. It's an accounting unit. 
and it's a store of value. So what does that mean simply? It means if you're willing to denominate your debt and pay off your debt in that currency, well, that's money. And so now you have Russia and China saying, why don't we partner up and be willing to denominate our debt in either of the currencies, thus making it super strong, super large, and super powerful on the world's financial and credit markets. And so, yes, it is possible that one day we may look back on this and say, this is where the new mega currency was born. Is there also an opportunity? And first of all, I should also say, I think if my history is correct, and you know, my my history of economics is not exactly my strong suit, nonetheless, the 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 American dollar has not always been the international currency. There was a time when Spain, I think, had the international currency, correct? And there's been a number of other ones over the decades and centuries. Oh yes, many many many. Yeah, the I mean. Most of us weren't alive when the American dollar became the dominant currency. But yes, it had various incarnations over what was, quote unquote, the world currency at the time. And as I said, when there was fixed exchange rates and there was gold standards, it was kind of the Wild West because the countries weren't weren't trading currencies and trading goods far as much as they do now when things are floating. So countries, you know, once they went to floating exchange rates, that was their way of saying we as capitalist countries and even some non-capitalist countries, we want to have our own monetary policy. We don't want to be beholden to any other country's monetary policies, i.e. playing with the money supply and playing with the interest rates and being a function of their decisions. We want to go out and venture onto this onto ourselves. And so that's how the whole nature really of how having your dominant currency, your own country's currency came to be. It was really just a movement to say, we want to have and dictate our own monetary policy. So in a lot of ways, it was just not accidental, but it was a it was an off growth of that, that the USA became so dominant. But if you look at world currencies today, I mean, number two is the euro. Right. And Lord knows, we don't know how the euro is going to do in the future. Some people see the euro as on its way out. And so if you're looking at countries to fill up the gap, if the euro does start to fall off as a world currency. Yeah. I mean, this makes the one and the ruble together quite strong. And so, you know, it's very easy to say, well, everything will go back to the status quo. But you know what, Scott? Not everything goes back to mm. the status quo. And these are two very powerful currencies linking up. What okay, so other than convenience, let's say that down the road, and again, we're just playing with this idea, but let's say the wand did become what the American dollar is now. What is the impact, especially you know, for us as the neighbors of the states? Does this dramatically change anything, or do we just, if we travel, we just use the wand instead of the greenback? Yeah, on a micro level, let's say you would do that. But on a macro level, it sends a message to the world economy that Russia and China are not to be fooled with. And you better be careful if you want to do dealings with countries who are not favorable to them. So really, it's like having a home field advantage for these two countries to say, why don't you come trade with us where you can denominate your debt in either of our currencies. So it just gives other countries a degree of flexibility to say, you know, we haven't traded with Russia or China in the past as strongly as we might have, but maybe now is the time to do so and maybe become a little bit less reliant mm. on not just the American dollar, but the Americans as a trading partner. Okay, one more thing, we gotta run. If this, let's say that it doesn't become the one as the dominant one, but we end up with two now. 
that we have a, a, a chunk of the world that has decided the yuan is going to be the currency and a chunk of the world decides the American dollar is going to be the currency. Does that have any impact or is that fine? You just, when you want to trade with them, you use the yuan. When you want to trade with the others, you use the dollar. Yeah. I mean, yes, it, it really is just a convenience factor. You've got to trade in something. You have to spend in something. And the world is a closed economy and it's an awfully big economy. So you kind of got to, at some point, there's an expression I won't use, but you got to get off the pot and pick a currency. And so what this is doing is it's making the yuan and the ruble look singularly well-suited and together as a union, especially well-suited. No, the American dollar, Scott, isn't going anywhere fast. It's going to be a dominant currency for a long time. But this does open up the door with the, with the recent rise of Eastern economies compared to Western economies to say that the U.S. dollar is no longer the only game in town. Yeah, it, it is a really interesting discussion, if only because of, as I say, the message that it might be sending, leaving aside what may happen down the road. It's a, the fact that moves are being made now to do this is, uh, is very interesting. Eric Cam, uh, Associate Professor and Director of the International Economics and Finance Undergraduate Program at Toronto Metropolitan University. Thanks for doing this. It's always an honor. Stay healthy, Scott. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.